0: Have you ever you ever been asked a question by somebody close to you or somebody that really knows you and in a particular season or you're facing a certain situation, and that particular question allowed you to see something and process the situation in a way that you 'd been missing before or or maybe the question um, forced you to see something from a different perspective and The way you process the question helped you move past the fog of your own ignorance and confusion and allowed you to see clearly what was right in front of you the whole time. Um, Questions have a way of doing that. The right question in the right season from the right person tend to have a way to force us to process things and see things. Differently. This certainly happened uh, a number of times in my life. One noteworthy um, time when it did happen was as I was trying to figure out whether or not I was going to um, muster up enough courage to ask out my now wife on our first ever date. Uh, Julie and I were in graduate school together. We went to college together, and I was super interested. And she would—I think she was interested. And we, I was trying to figure out. Okay, I don't—I don't know what to do here. And here's i This is what, at least, I think. I was I didn't want to ask her out because I was afraid. This is so this is so foolish and so silly, but this is what we do, fellas. I didn't want to ask her out because I was afraid that it would work out. Okay? I was like, if I ask her out, this might be the last time I ever ask a girl out again. And that terrified me. So I was like, ah, not gonna do it. That makes a lot of sense. And so, but you know, we were talking and texting, and then one of my friends that I was kind of processing this with, he actually works here, his name is Ben, he was fed up. He was just like, Samra, you are you are not being smart. I'll, I'll say it that way with kids in the room. And so one night he, he calls me. I remember I was on the fourth floor of the apartment building I lived in. There was like this rec room. And he goes, Sam, look, I, I just have three questions for you. I said, okay. He goes, does Julie love Jesus? I said, yeah. He goes, do you like spending time with her? I said, yeah. He's like, are you attracted to her physically? I was like, yeah. He goes, okay. All I can ask you then is what in the world are you waiting for? And as cliche as it is, in that moment, for whatever reason, this question just forced me to face everything that I was feeling and thinking inside. And I had no answer. I had no real reason. And you know what I did? I asked her out. And you know what happened? Thank God she said yes. You know? But it's funny, right? I mean, that's the power of a really good question. That's the power of the right question in the right moment. It allows you to see new possibilities and maybe even allows you to enter into a new future that you were not able to see before. That a really good question provokes something inside of you. It brings something to your attention that was not there before. It, In some cases, challenges you to to look at your preconceived notions and evaluate them and even wrestle with your own convictions and your own perception of reality. And maybe, like in my case, forces you to see something that was right there in front of you the whole time. For just a few minutes this morning, I want to look at a question recorded for us in Luke chapter 24 that has that level of impact and beyond. It is a question that has re-gripped my heart this Easter season. And it is a question that changed everything for everyone. Luke is one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the four gospels are just four accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus And Luke, when he wrote his gospel, he had one agenda, it was not to get published into the Bible, right? He didn't know that there was gonna be a Bible one day. He wasn't writing his gospel because he wanted it to be in the Bible. He tells us in the very first chapter, in the beginning of, of Luke, why he wrote it. He wrote it to put together an orderly account of the life of Jesus for his friend, Theophilus. So his only agenda was to write down the actual events as he investigated them and as he you know, checked other sources and figured out what in the world and who this Jesus guy was was. And so in Luke chapter 24, he's recording for us the events that he investigated. And it's the moments after the crucifixion of Jesus. This point in Luke chapter 24, Jesus is already placed in the tomb and Luke chapter 24 verse one opens up and the women are going to the tomb for the first time on the third day. Luke chapter 24 verse one, he tells us on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Luke tells us, that word wondering means perplexed, means confused. It means to be at a loss. They're just trying to make sense of this. Like, the body is supposed to be here. The reason they had spices is because they wanted to prepare the body for burial. Like they fully expected to see the body when they walked in. Like the, the, roll, the, the stone is rolled away. Okay, that's, that's weird. They still walked in. Body's supposed to be here. It's not. Like in today's world, this would have launched a brand new investigative podcast called Finding Jesus, okay? <laughs> the the, the body is supposed to be here. wasn't there. They're wondering, they're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. You can imagine what might be going on in their brains. And then verse four, Luke tells us, while they are wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes appeared, gleamed, gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. They responded the way we would have responded. I get a little nervous whenever it's like dark in my house at night and the floor creaks. You know what I mean? Freaks me out a little bit. Imagine... You're going to a tomb, expecting to see a body, probably a little bit dark in there. You don't see a body. And then suddenly angels, boom, out of nowhere. That's terrifying, right? (laughs) This This is exactly how this would have played out. They're terrified. The angels show up. And then women's faces are bowed to the ground. The angels ask a question. The very first words out of their mouths To the very first people to walk into the empty tomb is a question. A question that is a perspective shaper, a question that is a purpose giver, a question that is a hope provider. I've read the Gospel of Luke a few times, and this question, for whatever reason, jumped off of the page this Easter season as I prepared for this message. This question is why we celebrate Easter this question is why the Christian faith is any faith at all. This question is why I believe you should give Jesus a chance or why you should give Jesus another chance. This question is what sets the Christian faith apart from every other faith tradition. This question is why our faith isn't just wishful thinking. No, this, this question has the potential to change the trajectory of your life, just like it did theirs. This question has the potential to give your faith a solid rock foundation that cannot be swayed by circumstances, and it cannot be swayed by the logic of a college professor that wanted to undermine your faith. No, th- this question has the potential to change everything. The first words out of the mouths of the angels to the women who were first at to the tomb was, "Why?" Do you look for the living among the dead? What a question. Some translations say, why do you look for the living one among the dead? Okay. As powerful as that is, pause. My first thought would have been like, well, where else would he be? I mean, like, like just logically, am I, am I at the wrong tomb address? You know? That'd be awkward. My bad. Two tombs down on the right. You know, like, well, I don't, where else would he be? Because again, put yourself in their shoes for a second. The fascinating thing is though, this question was no question at all. This question was actually a statement of reality. You ever been asked a question and it wasn't really a question. They were just trying to tell you something. Occasionally I walk down the stairs dressed and Julie asks me a question. Is that what you're wearing? My response, not anymore. (laughs) It wasn't a question. It was a statement of reality. This question wasn't really a question. It was a statement of reality. And if I could translate the question into a statement, this is what the angels were saying. People who are alive are not found lying in tombs. And then seven words, five words in the Greek text, the angels would announce an event that would launch a movement that would change the world forever. They look at the women and they say, he is not here. He has risen. Translation, against all odds, Jesus is alive. Against all odds. What odds? Well, undefeated, undisputed champion of humanity, death against those odds. You don't beat that. You're not supposed to beat that. That's not how life works. That's not how this world order works. But against all odds, the angels are saying, he's not here. He's alive. Now, it's so easy for us. It's so easy for us to miss how unexpected this was in that moment. So for just a second, put yourself in their shoes for a minute. They had no place for this conceptually. And and I want to give you an example to try to help you feel what they were feeling. All my middle school and high school students in the room, are you ready? Watch this. This is going to make sense for everybody. Middle and high school students. When I got my first cell phone, I could only send 200 text messages a month. (laughs) Try to put that in your brain. Some of y'all sent 200 text messages since I started my message. And sending and receiving counted as two. And if I went over, your boy got in trouble because they were 10 cents a pop, okay? Add it up quick. Your dad picked a bad cell phone plan. No, they just didn't have unlimited texting, okay? It wasn't a thing. For you to think about sending, I mean, it sounds silly, but you have no concept for that. Like, that's just crazy, they had no they had no way to comfort like this wasn't something that was supposed to happen you imagine they saw the cross just 3 days prior they saw the cross take Jesus's breath away and they're still we miss this in the moment they're going to they're still processing the pain and the grief of losing their friend their leader their teacher and their lord I mean, they saw him placed in a tomb and they saw the movement that they had given their lives to seemingly come to an end when Jesus's life came to an end. They saw all of that and now they don't see him. Confusion, shock, unbelief, warranted. But the irony, Jesus told them that this would happen. This wasn't plan B. This was the plan all along. He told him, in fact, the angels tell him in verse six, hey, hey, remember. Remember how he told you, what he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, and this word, remember, it's a command. He's not like, hey, remember when question mark? It's no, no, I want you to remember, think back, turn on your thinking brain, like jog your memory. I know you're a little shocked right now, but remember, I want you to remember what he said to you. He said this, verse seven. They're quoting Jesus: the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified, and on the third day, be raised again. He told you this. He told you that he'd be delivered in the hands of sinners. He told you that he'd be crucified to forgive sinners, and he told you he'd be raised again to save sinners. And then, verse eight, then the women remembered his words. You can, you can imagine their faces, maybe, or what they would have been experiencing in the moment. They're processing all this, and then you know what it's like to remember something? They, they remembered. You're thinking, whoa, 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 wait. Oh, my goodness. That, wait, yeah, yeah. We were, remember Mary that one time? We were right outside Peter's house. And yeah, he said it there. And then, and then he said it another time. And I, I didn't understand it then, but now it, it makes sense. Wait a minute. Are you, is this real? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. He is alive. So they, they did what Amos would have done. They immediately ran to tell the other disciples. Now, a historical detail to give a little credibility to Luke's account: women in that day and age they had very low status, so low in fact that their testimony would have been inadmissible in Roman courts or Judean courts just because they were women. And. So, if you're making this story up or you're writing this as Luke and you want to make it believable, you would not have put women as the first ones on the scene because, in that time, it would have undermined the credibility and the plausibility of the entire account. But that's what Luke gave us. Why? Because that's what actually happened. So they go and they tell the other disciples. And then verse 11, shocker, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, even given the historical context I just gave you, I don't believe that they didn't believe the women because they were women. They didn't believe them because this was just crazy. Here's some Bible trivia for you. This word nonsense is the only time that word is used in the entire New Testament. A word worthy of the situation. A word worthy of the miracle. A resurrection. This doesn't happen. That's just crazy talk. There's no way. Proof that women have always been ahead of the guys. Only the women got that one. (laughs) Peter does what Peter does. Immediately runs out of the house because he wants to see it for himself. And he gets to the tomb and, and Luke tells us all he sees is the linens lying right where they were as they were. But the body's not there and he's left wondering what happened. But Jesus, he wasn't playing in a divine game of hide and go seek, you know? He's not just trying to mess with people. He actually appears, the apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he appears to hundreds of people before his ascension that we read about in Acts. But, but Jesus actually appears to the disciples, like he shows up uninvited, unexpected. And Luke records for us what happened when he appeared to the disciples. Verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Think about this. It was more logical in their mind that they would see a ghost of Jesus than actually seeing Jesus. Because a resurrection, that doesn't happen. A ghost was more likely in their minds than a resurrected Savior. And Jesus, he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Uh, cause you're here. You know, like, I, this, why wouldn't I do? I don't know. I saw, I don't believe it. And they, they can't believe it. Jesus goes, look, look at my hands and look at my feet. This is so real. I love this. You should make this stuff. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's me. It really is me. It's I myself. Touch me and see me. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. You know, he's he's probably cracking his knuckles like, see, look, look, look at my fingernails. They need to be clipped. And, and while and while they still do not believe it because of joy and amazement, like it was too good to be true. I love this. You can't make this stuff up. He asked them, OK, you still don't believe me. You got anything to eat? We've all seen Casper. If I'm really a ghost, it'll go straight through. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it right there in their presence. You still got doubts? Cool. Okay, watch this party trick. Give me some fish and chips. So real. Come on, I would have done the same. Prove it. Eat it. Go ahead. So real. So he ate it in their presence right there in front of them and they're just like, I cannot believe he's really here. And then... He goes on and he tells them, look, this is what is written. This is what was written about me. And these are the things that I told you, the Messiah, me, the chosen one, the anointed one will suffer. You saw me suffer and rise from the dead. I'm right here in front of you on the third day, just like when when the women told you. And because of that reality, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning right here in Jerusalem. You, he says, are witnesses of these things. He looks at them. He says, you have seen it. So go live like it. And go tell people about it. And that's what they did. And my friends, this is where we are. The movement of Jesus was given every conceivable reason to fail. The message of Jesus had every reason to lose traction. But the movement still going. The message still preached. Why? Because people who are alive are not found lying in tombs. Because against all odds, Jesus is alive. Because why do you look for the living among the dead? Jesus's earliest followers, they lived like Jesus was alive. They told the world that Jesus was alive. Many of them lost their lives telling people that Jesus was alive. Why? Because they really believed that Jesus was alive. And so today, for some of us, is a moment to remember that Jesus is really alive. And for others, it's an opportunity to believe that Jesus is alive. Because if Jesus is really alive, we've got to do something with that. (laughs) If Jesus is really alive, then church isn't just a once a week Sunday thing. Your faith isn't just a check the box thing. Like if you follow Jesus and Jesus is really alive, That's a whole new lens through which to live your life. Because if Jesus is really alive, it changes your day-to-day and it should certainly change mine. Otherwise, what are we doing? If Jesus is really alive, it means your faith is stronger than you could have ever imagined. If Jesus is really alive, it means that we should really take his commands seriously. We should treat people the way he taught us to treat people. We should handle our money differently. We should set our priorities differently. If Jesus is really alive, then you're walking into work tomorrow you're walking into middle school high school onto your college campus in your fraternity or in your sorority with a whole new level of purpose if jesus is really alive if jesus is really alive we should be looking for every opportunity to share our faith with people that have no idea in fact if i could just push a little bit further if jesus is really alive we should be looking for every opportunity To invite our neighbor, to invite our friend from school, to invite our family members to come sit with us at church, to come sit with us at transit, at Inside Out, at the living room, at whatever we've got going on, should change everything. And if Jesus is really alive, that means you don't have to live your life trying to measure up to God. If Jesus is really alive, that means your past mistakes are not gonna define your future. If Jesus is really alive, that means shame shouldn't be the loudest voice in your heart. If Jesus is really alive, we don't ever have to question God's love for us because you and I, watch this, are really forgiven. And so today is an opportunity, is a moment to remember. And for others, an opportunity to believe that there is a God that sees you. There is a God that saw you in your mess. There was a God that saw this ugly thing called sin that separated us from him and he wasn't okay with that separation. So he sent Jesus to die on the cross as a sacrifice for that sin. But then he rose from the grave to conquer its power so that whoever places their faith in Jesus now has a reestablished, reconciled, repaired relationship with our heavenly father now and forever. And the resurrection is what pieces all of it together. You, you, any, any jigsaw people in the house? I'm a big jigsaw person. You ever you ever put together a, a jigsaw puzzle and you, you lost the last piece? You weren't excited. At least we built the other 999 You flipped the house upside down, then you threw it away when you couldn't find the last piece because it's useless without it. The resurrection is that last piece that fits it all together. It gives us hope for the future promises of God and assures us of the promises that he already gave and it reconciles everything that Jesus did here on earth. In fact, the resurrection is the very thing that helps us understand the cross. The two go hand in hand. You can't have a resurrection without death. But without the resurrection, Jesus' death on the cross would have accomplished absolutely nothing. But because of the resurrection, the two hand in hand accomplished everything. For you and for me. Delivered into the hands of sinners. Crucified to forgive sinners. Raised again to save sinners. Sinners. Let's make it personal, though. Crucified, or delivered into the hands of sinners. Crucified to forgive us. Raised again to save us. Delivered into the hands of sinners. Crucified to forgive you. Raised again to save you. Today, is a moment to remember that our savior is a risen king who is worthy of our surrender. He is worthy of us reorienting our entire lives around the way he taught us to live. But it's also, for some of you, an opportunity to believe maybe for the first time to believe in the one that came for you, to believe in the one that died for you, to believe in the one that rose again to save you forever and to offer you life and life abundantly, here, now, and forever. Because people who are alive are not found lying in tombs and against all odds and praise God this is true Jesus is alive let me pray for you Heavenly Father thank you that you see us thank you that you sent Jesus for us Father, I pray that you would give everybody listening today the courage to do something with what we just heard. The courage to wrestle with the resurrection of Jesus. The courage to surrender. And maybe even the courage to finally believe what might have been right in front of them the whole time. Father, we love you. Thank you that Jesus is alive and it is in his name that we pray, amen.